Hello, and welcome to The Pen, The Lens, and Everything in Between. I am your host, Lenny Sherman, and today I'm going to talk about exclusively sequels and adaptations. Uh, Before this episode starts, I wanted to apologize for my barking-ass dog, Savannah. She, Whenever she sees something, she won't shut the hell up, so I apologize for that. She's downstairs, and the microphone up here picks her up, so I apologize in advance. So moving on, the reason why I'm talking about sequels and adaptations in the same episode is because really there's a lot of expectations for both. The first two people to really read Last Sunrise. The book ends not on a cliffhanger, but I left it intentionally ambiguous. And I had no intentions of continuing it. I just wanted the reader to ask, where would Harmon go after this happened? Uh, One person thought he might go off to Mexico. I don't really have any stories for that, but it got me thinking. It got me interested in maybe writing a sequel to Last Sunrise. I do have some ideas for what it would be, but I don't want to write a sequel just because there's a demand. And I'm not saying there's a demand. I didn't really want to write a sequel because I haven't built an audience yet. Not enough people have read the book to demand a sequel, so there's no pressure on me to write one. If I did write a sequel, it would just be because I like these characters and I'd kind of like to see where they end up. But that's the thing with sequels and adaptations. Right now, I've talked about it several times, there's an adaptation on HBO of a highly praised video game, The Last of Us, and it's getting a lot of praise. I really enjoy the show. I would like to get into you know comparisons between the show and the game, but there were a lot of expectations for the show because A, video game to movie or TV show adaptations have a history of being really bad, and B, the, the game was highly praised when it came out in 2013 because it showed that video games could, could present a, a strong narrative beyond just gameplay. Some would argue that it has the best story in video games, period. And while it's probably not the most original concept, it does take place in a kind of in a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, the, the story between Joel and Ellie and these two finding each other and bonding and each one offering the other something that they didn't know they needed is very compelling and uh, is really the heart of the story and why a lot of people are watching the show. Uh, I've always had an interest in sequels especially because, especially in the world of movies, Hollywood is a very sequel-minded business. It's a sure thing. Movies are a risk. Studios typically spend millions of dollars on a movie, and if it's a sure thing, then of course they're going to make a sequel. Case in point, the recent Star Wars trilogy. Adaptations, on the other hand, are a funny thing because oftentimes when you're adapting something, you're switching the medium. So going from a novel to a movie or a video game to film or TV, it's challenging because a lot of people aren't aware that there are certain things that don't really translate. I'll give you an example. There's a scene in The Fellowship of the Ring when they visit Galadriel before, they, before the Fellowship continues its journey. Galadriel presents each member of the Fellowship with a gift, and when she gets to Gimli, She asks him what he would wish of her, and she asks for three golden locks of hair from her head. In the movies, if you really think about it, how would you visually show Galadriel giving Gimli a strand of hair? If you try to photograph a strand of hair, it's very thin. You wouldn't see it on film. There's really not a great way of showing that on film. So there's a little exchange between Legolas and Gimli where he tells Gimli what she gave him. And 
It was about as good as it could get, but I can understand why they left that out of the theatrical version and put that in the extended cut. Oftentimes, there are gender swapping and race swapping and things of that nature. I think that's more just to appeal to a broader audience. But typically, when fans of one medium are... When they flock to, let's say, the movie version of their favorite book, there are high expectations, especially something as big as, say, Harry Potter, not to stir up controversy. When the Harry Potter movie started coming out, I mean, Potter fans of the books flocked to those films. And the Harry Potter films are, they take so much from the books. Those, those movies actually take very few liberties from the books that it leaves very little to the imagination to the point where as the books got longer, the movie started getting shorter for some reason. So the studios had to cut a lot of material out. And I can understand how someone who's never read the books would go into those later movies and be absolutely lost because there's so much material that is left on the cutting room floor. And the Harry Potter movies, I also blame for this trend in Hollywood of taking a novel and breaking it into two or three films to get the whole story out. I think the first film that ever did that, that I can remember, was Deathly Hallows. They broke it up into two books, and then everybody was doing it. Breaking Dawn and The Hobbit especially. It's become an unnecessary trend because most of these books, if you really know how to adapt something, you shouldn't have to break it up into multiple parts. You should be able to tell a succinct story. Movies are not books. Movies are are long-form pieces of entertainment that are two hours. You have two hours to tell a story. If you can't tell it in two hours, you have to figure out a way to condense the story and still have it make sense. I believe you can do that with everything. It just depends on how much you're willing to take out and still make the story work. You could tell a two-hour version of The Hobbit. You'd have to leave a lot on the cutting room floor. You'd have to figure out how to make that story make sense by linking scenes together and playing with it a little bit, but you absolutely could do it. I don't need a nine-hour movie trilogy of a book that's shorter than all of the Lord of the Rings novels. Sequels also, it used to be that, especially in the 80s, a movie would be successful and... A couple years later, you'd have a sequel. And you might have a string of sequels in a short time frame. Sometimes there'd be a gap. If you look at like the Alien movies, each one has like a six or seven year gap. The first one came out in 78, and then Aliens came out in 86, and Alien 3 came out in 93. But usually, if you look at a lot, a lot of action films, like the Lethal Weapon movies, the, the longest gap was between Lethal Weapon 3 and 4, between 93 and 98. But they were coming out every two or three years. If you look at the Star Wars movies, those typically come out every three years, unless you look at the gaps between each trilogy. But the original trilogy, those movies came out every three years, between 77 and 83. The Back to the Future movies, those actually, parts two and three came out within six months of each other. The Matrix trilogy came out in like a five-year period. Most movie sequels came out, you know, and a lot of them were defined by decade. Indiana Jones, the original Indiana Jones trilogy, those all came out in the 80s. 80, uh, Raiders came out in 81, and then Temple of Doom in 84. Last Crusade came out in 89. Horror franchises like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, most of those came out in the 80s. Those are all 80s franchises. And today, there are so many franchises that are trying to come back from the dead because there's been so much time built up where new fans of these franchises can discover these things 
and all of a sudden studios are are seeing the renewed interest and that's why you have Ghostbusters Afterlife and Star Wars Episode 7 and Terminator 18. What I think defines a good sequel is you have to have a reason to continue the story. You have to have something else to say. Most sequels are not continuations. I would say most sequels, they just take the characters that you love and they put them on new adventures. That is the typical sequel. That was your 80s action movies, your slasher movies. The slasher movies were almost always unrelated to each other because by the time you got to the sequel, the entire cast was pretty much dead. A good sequel to me is something that is doing something different, but it doesn't it, it always goes back to characters it doesn't sacrifice character one of my favorite sequels and this is going to make a lot of eyes roll because i know a lot of people don't like this movie but one of my favorite sequels is bill and ted's bogus journey and i bring that up because the other day i was watching the third movie bill and ted face the music and it was a huge step down for me because it just didn't it didn't feel right and that was a sequel that came out 30 years after after the fact uh, it can be done, but it's rare. Top Gun Maverick proved that it could be done, but I also think that the first Top Gun, in hindsight, wasn't really that great of a film. It's not bad. It's kind of a guilty pleasure for me. But um, I love Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey because they didn't just do the time-traveling thing again. How easy would it have been to do Bill and Ted 2 and they just go back into the phone booth and they, they time travel back to all these other historical periods because they're in college now and they got to pass their college history course. You know, it would have been so easy to do that. And I kind of feel that's what Face the Music did. It, it featured elements from Bill and Ted 1 and 2. And it played more of like a highlight reel of the last two movies. But with Bogus Journey, they essentially are greeted by robots from the future and at one point they die and they have to go to hell and fight death in order to get back to life so they can save their girlfriends from the bad evil robots and it's such a crazy concept but it works because it's so goofy and the characters are just as likable as they were in the first movie uh, i don't think it's as good as excellent adventure but it's very close and i have a lot of fun watching that movie. I know not everybody likes it, but there's got to be some people out there that agree with me. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom has always been my favorite in the trilogy, in the original three indie films. I know I'm the minority on that, but I've got to tell you, that's another one where the character of Indiana is the character of Indiana. He's the character they introduce in Raiders. Um, instead of giving him a tough heroine like Marion Ravenwood, they gave him Kate Capshaw, who is very high maintenance and kind of annoying, but she was written like that intentionally to be a foil to Indy and, and be the polar opposite of Marion. The, the stakes are higher. The movie is darker. It's much smaller in scope, but there are so many cool action scenes. And it still maintains that element of the B-movie serial. Uh, everybody complains about that scene where they jump off the plane with a life raft. But can you imagine if they had freeze-framed that moment and you'd have the announcer saying, will they hit the ground or will they crash into the mountains? Tune in next week for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You know, things like that. It, it has that spirit. So I, I've always loved Temple of Doom, and I think the ending of that movie where they free all the kids and everything, is it, and the camera pulls back as uh, Willie and Indy kiss, and Short Round closes his eyes, that's cinema gold right there. But essentially, 
that's what I'm talking about. Those movies are different enough to feel like different kinds of films, but the characters are still there, and there's a lot of heart in the characters. Temple of Doom, I love the relationship between Indy and Short Round. That movie works for me on so, so many different levels. The worst kinds of sequels to me are kind of the ones that do exactly the same thing. And I'm there's two in particular, Ghostbusters 2 and Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Those movies, it just seems like they took the original script and they just kind of did a Mad Libs where they took out all the names of all the characters and they replaced characters from the first movie into the second movie. Like, for example, they replaced Gozer in Ghostbusters with Vigo. And they replaced the, uh, the, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man with the Statue of Liberty. They basically just took A and replaced it with B and pumped out a sequel. Now, in all fairness, because Ghostbusters 2 was the one I grew up with, I have a soft spot for Ghostbusters 2. I like Ghostbusters 2 because that was the one I saw first, and I probably saw that one the most. And because of that, I really appreciate Ghostbusters 2. I'm not going to sit here and say which one I like better because I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for that. We live in a society today where everybody wants to cancel you if you disagree with them, so I'm not going to say which I like better. But Ghostbusters 2 is a copycat of the first movie. It's just a matter of preference. Home Alone 2, same thing. A lot of people, surprisingly, I've heard, have said they actually like 2 better just because of the pranks and they like the New York setting. And that's fair, but it's still the exact same film. I saw them both in theaters and I was very young. I was like not even 10 years old yet when those movies came out. I remember seeing Home Alone 2 and going like, okay, it's cool to see Kevin back. It's cool to see Marvin Harry back. I am sorry about that Frickin' dog. Jesus Christ. She done yet? It was cool to see Marvin Harry back, but that's just what I'm saying. It's the exact same circumstances. In what world would Kevin run into the same burglars? And I know New York is a big place, but come on. And then the ending, you know, it's exactly the same thing with setting all the traps because the studios knew that's what people liked about the first movie. That's, you know, and they put that exact same thing in the second one. The problem with sequels today is that because you've got sequels to movies that were big like 30 years ago, like Indiana Jones and Star Wars and Star Trek and Top Gun and all of these, Bill and Ted, all these franchises that were really big, we tend to glorify these sequels and give them legendary status. And so the filmmakers put these movies, put their own franchises on these pedestals and when the movie comes out, they try to idolize everything. That was kind of a problem I had with Ghostbusters Afterlife. Now, Afterlife, I initially liked, but the more I thought about it and the more I saw YouTube critics commenting on it, discussing it, I realized that do we really need them to pay homage to the empty chocolate bar wrapper that Egon had from the first Ghostbusters? No, absolutely not. That's worshiping a franchise and... Uh, quite fr frankly, it's it's patronizing to to fans. It's it's fan bait is what that is, and that movie was full of that. Star Wars: The Force Awakens was an example of how you can do that well. The Millennium Falcon and Han Solo; those are big parts of the original trilogy. So you'd almost be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't have those things in The Force Awakens. Whether or not they utilized everything to their fullest potential in that film, I'm not sure. I enjoyed that film for what it was. I also understand the criticisms about that movie. But 
I think given how people responded critically to the prequels, I think I think The Force Awakens was a film we needed. But that's a film that was made because of the money, because Disney had purchased Lucasfilm from Lucas and they needed to report to their shareholders by a certain date. And that's why that movie exists and why it is the way it is. It is a money-driven film. And the reason why it made so much money is because they knew to pander to the fans as much as they could. And they, they did surprisingly well with it. You know, the best sequels, again, you know, sequels, especially in movies, they are driven by money. You know, if if we can make a profit off of a quick and easy sequel, we're going to, you know, they'll do it. And sequels very rarely are are done through passion. Uh, the original story of anything that comes out, the original cr- creation, is a passion project for a lot of people. It's a story that they felt they needed to be told. There was no... I can almost guarantee when they made Ghostbusters, they weren't saying, we got to make sure that we leave an ending for a sequel. I think in the old days, you know, most people didn't go into a project thinking about a sequel. They just wanted to make a movie that would maybe be profitable. Today, studios are very sequel-minded, and this whole thing of shared universes, I'm sorry, I, I saw that announcement from James Gunn about what he plans to do with DC, and to me, that sounds like a mess. I'm not interested. Will I watch some of the DC stuff? To be honest, I stopped after Batman v Superman. I, I saw the Batman with Robert Pattinson, and I saw the Joker, the standalone Joker movie. But in terms of the shared DC universe, I stopped after Batman v Superman. This whole podcast is sponsored by the two loud-ass dogs downstairs who won't shut the hell up. They've been going on for the past 20 minutes. There's no one here. It's an empty house. That would be Savannah. What was I saying? I have no freaking idea what I was saying. Everything is a shared universe. I don't, you know, I stopped after Batman v Superman with the DC universe and with Marvel, I saw the last Spider-Man movie and I was done. I I liked that movie, but I just said, if this is what it is now, it's just bringing in legacy characters from movies that are 10 years old. I, I don't care. It's not for me. I'm not saying people are stupid for liking that stuff, but it's just not for me. And I'm tired of the shared universe. I want a full movie that stands alone as a movie. And it's so funny today that I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but TV has caught up to film and film has kind of regressed and become more like television because it used to be television just didn't have a very big budget and television had a lot more episodes. An episode of like Star Trek, The Next Generation, a typical season would be 25 to 29 episodes. Today, most TV series are 9, 10 episodes, and that's it, because the budgets have gotten bigger, and and showrunners are trying to make movies, are trying to make TV shows feel like long 9 or 10-hour movies. And for the most part, it's working. You've got, uh, you've got big stars that are coming to TV now. Uh, a good example would be Cobra Kai. I never thought in a million years that I would see a sequel to The Karate Kid Part 3, that is in the form of a six-season TV series. The same goes for Ash vs. Evil Dead, which has been over for a couple of years now. But if you would have told me that Army of Darkness, you will eventually see an Evil Dead 4 in this in the form of a TV series, I'd be like, no way. Because, there, you know, back in the 90s, you couldn't have, like, these R-rated TV shows. That really didn't exist, except for HBO. And in the 90s, I don't think everybody had HBO. HBO wasn't a platform for TV shows. That was kind of a bonus. HBO was for showing movies that were uncut, that you didn't have to see commercials for. They didn't have to bleep out the language because you were paying a subscription service. But movies, because everything is so 
focused on shared universes. Movies are much more like TV shows. You watch one movie and then there's a little PS at the end of, you know, at the, at the end of the credits, a little segment, a little stinger, and it sets up the next five movies so that people can come back and be like, "Ooh, what movie is that going to take place in?" And it gets a little tiring. That's kind of why I, I had to stand I had to step away from Star Wars for a little bit because you have the Star Wars movies and now you've got a lot of TV shows. Star Wars in a lot of ways has caught up to Star Trek. Because for the longest time, Star Wars just consisted of three movies. You had some books and video games, but there wasn't really a Star Wars television series until The Clone Wars. Now you've got like five or six or eight TV shows that are not even in, that are that are just the ones. I'm just talking about the ones that you can watch right now on Disney Plus. Not to mention like what did they announce? Eleven new shows in the near future. Holy Christ! Um, and they started to blend the TV show with the movies. So now to get caught up, you have to watch the shows to get caught up with the movies. And there's so much out there. I don't have time for all of that. I kind of wish they would just keep it separately. So, um, And it also used to be that if you were pitching an idea to either an agent, a, a publishing house, a studio, they didn't want to hear about your idea for a sequel. They wanted to hear that you had a good idea that they could make a movie out of. Today, it Today, I believe you have to go in and say that you have an idea for eight sequels because that's all the studios are interested in because it's all about the money. That was that. That's it's a little bit of a rant for me. That being said, I've been thinking about ideas for a sequel to Last Sunrise, and not saying it's going to happen. I'm only going to write it if there's a story left to tell. I like these characters, but the story ends with Harmon leaving Japan and going to God knows where. I have an idea of where he's going, but I never intended to follow him that far. I left it intentionally ambiguous. Honestly, I don't have any intentions of writing a sequel because I don't have a story, and I don't want to write something just to reunite characters. It kind of seems self-fulfilling at this point anyway because very few people have read the first one. So obviously if I were to do a sequel at this point, it would be for my benefit, but I just don't have a story right now that I feel I could, I would really tell unless there's a story that would continue the first one and further develop these characters. You know, I would like to kind of see the aftermath of what happens to Moriko and on the other side, what happens to Harmon's sister, Susan, after they've been through abuse and, but that, that seems a little heavy for a story, you know, because I, the one thing I was fascinated with, with the first story that I tried to explore a little bit, but I didn't, you know, by the time we got to the end of the story, I didn't really delve into this, but it's the thing about when, when law enforcement fails is vigilante justice called for. Um, if you look at the series Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, that very thing happens with Freddy Krueger. For those of you who don't know the origins of Freddy Krueger, uh, he was a child murderer and rapist who was arrested he was finally arrested and he was freed on a technicality the legal system totally screwed up and so the parents of the murdered kids went on a killing spree found freddy and burned him alive and then he came back as the dream demon and heather langenkamp who plays nancy in a couple of films in the series she's kind of what you would refer to as the final girl but she's aside from freddy she's really the other face that a lot of fans of nightmare on elm street films uh, look at as the fa the other face of the series. And she said that she's fine with vigilante justice if it's called for. So that was something that I would like to explore maybe in a continuation or a sequel. 
Um, but I'm not planning a series. I don't want to do a shared universe of any kind. Um, I, I, we talked, I talked about this a little bit in the last episode about creating separate stories within a shared universe. And that doesn't interest me. Um, I'd be fine. You know, it's, if you want to, you know, if I were to write a series of individual stories and they take place at different locations, if, if, you know, people who read the stories want to kind of convince themselves that it is all taking place in the same universe, I'm fine with that, but I don't intend to do that. So it was a little bit of a rant about sequels and my, you know, my personal tastes, because that's all it is. This is just my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, but most sequels, especially if you're talking about movies, they're done for money. And that's why a lot of the time sequels can't, they can't live up to the originals for the most part. And by the way, I love Temple of Doom. It is my favorite indie movie, but Raiders of the Lost Ark is just as great. Honestly, it's really hard for me to say that Temple of Doom is a better movie. That's just personal preference. I don't think it's almost impossible to beat Raiders. Anyway, this is Lenny Sherman. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope to see you next time.